Hello and welcome to the After Sermon Podcast, where we pick up all the bits from the cutting room floor that didn't make it into our sermons and break them down. And today we're looking at the sermon, Buy High, Sell Low. Hi, my name is Christopher. And my name is James. And this is the After Sermon Podcast, as you may know from the intro. Today's sermon we're looking at is Buy High and Sell Low. And I've brought in a special guest for such a special podcast. Yeah. Um, James is quite the business, uh, I don't know, aficionado? (laughs) Is that the right word? Yeah. You are. You got some award for business in school, right? Yeah, back in you know year ten or something. Yeah, you know, some, some yeah. Commerce Merrill award. award. <laughs> it's a pretty good award. Yeah. Probably gonna probably start a big business one day. All right, if you're starting a business, James, in the future, what what's it gonna be? What are you selling? What's your product? Oh, my product. Ooh, uh, I used to be really into philosophy, um, more modern philosophy, how to live um, the best life, um, and kind of taking God's word and putting it in a way that people will under, understand. So a lot of people, they struggle to read the Bible and they don't take in the effort um, that's necessary to actually grasp the wisdom that's in it. Um, I plan to uh, make a kind of uh, a, a philosophy rock band of people um, basically <laughs> going around making YouTube videos, giving um, sermons, if you will. Um, uh, yeah, just making the Bible a bit more translatable and, and teaching what the Bible has to offer. Awesome. So it sounds like you you're almost kind of getting wisdom from the Bible and wisdom from some of the best minds throughout history and kind of getting the best of both worlds by the sense yeah, of it. Yeah, merging philosophers and, and the teachings of the Bible together and, um, yeah, creating useful wisdom for, uh, uh, for for those who don't necessarily look for it um, when they need it. Awesome. All right, well, that's definitely something uh, these guys should keep an eye out for, but let's get into the recap, and just before we do... If you haven't watched the sermon, buy high, sell low, go to the link below and come back here later because this podcast is full of spoilers. With that out of the way, let's get into our quick recap. So essentially, uh, we begin with the story of Ronald Wayne, uh, a guy who worked for Apple Incorporated, sold his 10% stake before the business really took off, and if he'd kept that, it'd be worth $60 billion as of uh, April 2016. So we looked at the idea of making bad trades, and then in business, um, you want to be able to make a profit. So you buy a product at a lower price, and then you sell it uh, for a higher price to the consumer. And uh, so then we came up with, yeah, with this idea of bad trades, and we looked at a bad trade in the Bible, Jacob and Esau. Esau sells his birthright for a bowl of stew. But then we evaluated ourselves and said, are we at risk of making that same mistake at times? We've all been given an inheritance by God, and do we sometimes find ourselves trading that inheritance of salvation for, you know, the things of this world? We want to make a swap, since we can't have them both in the spur of the moment, just to satisfy uh, our immediate desires, we can sometimes find ourselves making a bad trade ourselves. And we also looked at the impact that our decisions can have on other people. So that's pretty much a quick recap. All right, let's get into our impressions. James, what did you think of the sermon? Did you like it? Yeah, um, unlike a lot of your sermons, Chris, it, it wasn't one that blew my mind, per se. It, oh. it, <laughs> it, it, 
like the the information that you presented, it was quite common knowledge. You know, don't impulse buy, always look from hindsight, always keep a logical perspective, mm. you know, don't fall into the trap of instant gratification. It's something that we've all heard before, but it's something that definitely also needs to be reinforced. Yeah. Because although a lot of people, you know, know, you know, don't give into instant gratification, the very power of instant grat- gratification is given to instant gratification. It's, you know, <laughs> <laughs> so... It's very important that, like, this idea is reinforced and reinforced so that, that people really um, get to understand it. And I think a story um, like the one that you presented with, you know, the whole ridiculous soup trade, um, <laughs> it's a really good example and it really sticks in your mind just because of how absurd it is. So I really liked it. I thought it was um, a really a good re- reinforcement of the uh, the general idea. Awesome. Well, yeah. good to hear that it's uh, some good information to hear every now and then. And I... Th- uh, I'm glad that you thought that because, yeah, it really is something that we should be aware of, even if not in our spiritual lives, just yeah. in our regular day-to-day lives. Don't be an impulse buyer. Yeah. Don't don't make those trades. Yeah, definitely. All right, well, let's get the ball rolling by going to our segment, the drawing board. James, what is the drawing board? Um, the drawing board is where we discuss the sources, inspirations, and goals of the sermon in order to better understand the sermon in question. Um, awesome. Yeah. Cool. So pretty much, uh, I was reading through Patriarchs and Prophets, uh, who, for those who don't know, is sort of written in a style of a biblical commentary. And so often what I'll do is, I'll read a chapter of that book, and then read the chapter in the Bible that it's uh, relevant to, that it's commentating on, just so I can get a better understanding or a better appreciation for the text. So I was reading through the chapter titled Jacob and Esau, and it's explained uh, pretty much how Christians can surrender their inheritance that they've been given for things just as uh, low of value as, you know, just stew or pottage, however you want to say it, for just trivial and futile things, really. And it blew me away how simple it was and yet profound. And it really became something then that I wanted to get across. And for, for most of the people, you know, in your church, they're all good people, they've all made that commitment... I don't think any of them really have a specific vice or sin that is preventing them from salvation or anything. But uh, even as you said, it still gives us a greater understanding of our salvation, the significance of our inheritance, and also just reinforces that idea that we have and can also help us think in those times where we're tempted to make that immediate gratification to not do so. And so from that basic concept, I came up with the rest, the, the, you know, the Apple story, the business concept, and I did a lot of research into the nation of Edom, uh, which is the nation that came after Esau's descendants. I really went on like a big, like almost an archaeological, historical thing. I had so yes, many sources. Yeah. I had like 30 pages of this stuff. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I'm not going to fit this in the sermon. Luckily, uh, we're going to cover not all of it, thankfully, not all 30 pages. I just picked out some of the highlights and... We'll go over those more in the cutting room floor when we get there. Uh, One of the interesting things uh, that I'm sure no one picked up on uh, was that the very beginning of the story, about 50% of it is actually made up of quotes from Ronald Wayne himself. Uh, Some of it is me putting it in and describing it as a story, but a lot of the stuff explaining uh, why he... Uh, wanted to quit the business, that's actually just word-for-word quotes from him in interviews nearly 50 years after that fact. Mm. Also, a little, I suppose you'd call it, Easter egg 
if you've watched the sermon and you saw uh, the slides, if you pay close attention, the uh, the little Monopoly piece that I have, the little car, it actually moves around from slide to slide. So you can tell by the time it gets to the very end uh, property on the board, that means we're at the end of the sermon. So it was kind of indicating how far along we're in the sermon by how far along the piece was going. Wow, I didn't even notice that. I was reminded, but... So, yeah, that was a little Easter egg. But that's pretty much it for the drawing board. All right. Uh, let's get into our main meat of the podcast, the cutting room floor. James, what is the cutting room floor? Uh, the cutting room floor is the segment where we basically discuss the parts of the sermon that didn't make it into the final product um, and kind of just talk them over. Cool. All right. So there was a lot of stuff uh, to begin with. We're going to go rapid fire here. We're not going to look up these verses, because this is a lot of verses. So, get ready for these. Isaiah eleven fourteen, as well as 21, 11 through 12. Jeremiah 25, 21, as well as 49, 7 through 22. Ezekiel 25, 12 through 14, and verse 35. Amos 1, 11 and 12, and Malachi 1, 2 through, five, two through to 5. Yes. Wow. <laughs> Those are just some of the prophecies uh, regarding Edom. And in fact, the nation of Edom is mentioned 99 times in the Bible. So we hardly scratch the surface there. But if you want to learn more about Edom and what happened to Esau's descendants after um, the whole stew incident, there's a lot of stuff there in the Bible. Uh, also, you can look up Deuteronomy 30 verses 19 and Matthew 6, 19 through to 21. They're not in reference to Edom, but if you go look them up, you'll realize the relevance that they have to the topic that we talked about. Um, James, tell me, do you... This is, I'm putting you in the hot seat here. Oh, okay, I'm ready. But uh, did you see any similarities with this, the, with this story and any other stories in the Bible about someone willing to give up uh, their inheritance for, you know, things of the world? Oh... Uh... Oh, I, I have heard stories. I'm not. I'm not a big Bible guy. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> in training, yeah, <laughs> in training. But um, I, it does remind me of um, kind of the prodigal son in a way. Oh, um, give the man a prize. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, like if if you if you compare um, uh, what we want with basically what we need, there's a huge difference, and there's a very fine line with that as well. Um, a lot of people want money. Um, because it's a desire and it kind of gives you pleasure, but people often have a um, a really hard time uh, kind of deciphering between pleasure and happiness, and what will give me the most pleasure and instant gratification compared to what will give me the most happiness in the long term and make me the most content in my life. And a lot of what I'm talking about is just around money versus relationships, or mm. um, life experiences and fulfillment um, versus having, you know, awesome cars and a big house. Yeah. Um, if you asked around, I'm sure a lot of people would um, rather uh, travel the world in a van if they could, um, than, which is quite cheap, quite easy to do, um, than have, like, a massive mansion and live in the same city your whole life. Mm. Um, because we do have that kind of wisdom about ourselves, but we don't often um, pursue it because the world is often, like, it keeps bombarding us with, um, you know, you need money to be happy and you know, just chase an inheritance. In fact, a lot of families have actually broken up their relationships um, just chasing after the inheritance from their um, deceased parents or grandparents. Yeah. And it's really sad to see, too, because they totally missed the point. I mean, instead of grieving over, hey, we, we 
we've lost a family member, guys. Everyone's having a big feud over who can get the most money, who can get the most yeah. instant gratification. We're so deluded in that aspect. Um, it's quite absurd, and it actually makes the whole super super deal look pretty alright. <laughs> yeah. I mean, throwing away family relationships for, for such a thing as money, it's really... You, you know, you, you can't afford to lose sight of what's important in that aspect. Yeah. I think uh, the big takeaway from that is if you, it's impossible to have it all. You have to sacrifice something. So if you want to chase mm. after money, as you said, you might have to sacrifice a relationship or in order to get uh, whatever it is in life. You always have to sort of sacrifice something. There has to be some sort of compromise. And so uh, with the prodigal son, it was a relationship with his father in order to get his inheritance and go where he wanted. And the reason I didn't talk about the prodigal son at all, you kind of make the same point. Don't, you know, don't give up your salvation uh, for, you know, useless stuff. It's the same sort of deal, but the the deal in the prodigal son sort of seems kind of good at the time, if you know what I mean. He gets Mm. gets all this money and he goes and he has fun. Uh, Obviously, in hindsight, we know it's a bad decision, but to the son, it looks like a pretty good deal, at least. It's Mm. not wise, but it looks good. Esau's deal is just bad. (laughs) There's no good way to look at it. So that's why I preferred that and um, chose to specify that just to really hammer home how bad a deal it is to swap your inheritance for something of lesser value. Yeah. And it can be so confusing as well. It can be so, uh, like, unapparent because, uh, like you said, you didn't choose a prodigal son because, like, it was really apparent that, hey, this was this, you know, like this is a um, maybe like n- not so much of a bad deal, but um, in the case of of what you talked about this sermon, um, it was very obviously a really really bad deal. Yeah. But it, oftentimes in life, it's not that um, it's not that obvious, mm. um, and so it is important that we're always aware of what sacrifices we have to make. And I really like how you mentioned sacrifices too. Um, because it really comes down to what deal do you want to make? Um, do you want to make this good trade or do you want to make this potentially really bad trade, you know, that looks really good, um, but isn't going to work out in the long run? What, yeah. what will it give you, um, in hindsight? Um, you know, would you rather spend $200 on a rug that will give you, um, you know, instant gratification and pleasure for the two days that you experience the rug and that before you become accustomed to it? Or would you rather spend the two hundred dollars on, you know, twenty cups of coffees um, with friends and just experience um, all of that life that's mm. there? It all comes down to what, where your priorities yeah, what, and values are, really. Yeah, it's all about um, making the right trades. Yeah, sacrificing um, what's bad for what's good instead of what's good for what's bad. Awesome. Well, we're going to enter a very special round, and when I say special, we got like three special rounds in the cutting room floor today, so. None of them are really special, but our first one is the Hebrews round, Uh, and that's because we're going to be looking a little bit at the book of Hebrews. Just as I was finalizing this sermon, uh, I'd finished reading the book of Hebrews and realized that it pretty much fit into my sermon really well, Uh, but to put it in would be a huge uh, tangent for me to go on, just a huge huge sidetrack that really would... uh, bring away from the message of it. So I decided to keep it in here. Uh, Just a bit of context, the entire book of Hebrews is one big letter, pretty much, talking about how Jesus is better than and superior uh, in every way. He's 
a better sacrifice because he dies once for all instead of lambs having to be brought pretty much every day. He's a better high priest because he doesn't have to make sacrifices for himself and because he's sinless. And so pretty much it explains that everything on earth is described as a shadow of the heavenly. And uh, if you want to join with us, we're going to begin by reading in Hebrews 9.22. And James, do you want to read that out for us? Um, And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood, and without shedding of blood there is no remission. Okay, so without the remission of blood, or without the shedding of blood, whatever translation you have, uh, there can there cannot be any atonement for sins. Sins, the wages of sin is death. The punishment for sin uh, is death, and so without the shedding of blood, there cannot be any atonement. But we read something interesting when we get to uh, verse, when we go to chapter ten, and we read verses one and four, and uh, I'll read that out for you guys. For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices which they offer, continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. So, here's a question for you, Mr. Sullivan. Again, hot seat time. Mm -hmm. We just read that without the shedding of blood, there can't be any forgiveness of sins. But we just before we read that uh, the blood of lambs is not sufficient in taking away sin. So in that case, if the the blood of the lamb can't do anything, why is it that in the Old Testament uh, God commanded these people to you know sacrifice a lamb, and that was supposed to atone for their sins? If we just read that the blood of the lamb did nothing. I don't know. <laughs> Explain. <laughs> that's it. That and that's what kind of I had sort of the same reaction. I, I I had a idea in my head, and then the book of Hebrews goes and tells us pretty clearly. But I was thrown off by it uh, by it as well. Um, because oh, it just kind of makes no sense to me. I mean, I can't think why, um, you know, why there would be such a contradiction. Oh, a contradiction. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's read in verse eleven. Oh, actually, verse 11 pretty much just reiterates the fact that these sacrifices can't take away the sins uh, that we're trying to get rid of. But it's not till we get to chapter 11 and verse 1 that we begin to understand what this apparent contradiction really is. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. Uh, now, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. For by it, the elders obtained a good testimony. Cool. Uh, so, James, I think we've discussed this definition of faith even before, mm-hmm. um, before this, and uh, we've always, well, I found it difficult to explain to people who aren't Christian what it means. Because whenever someone asks, what does faith mean? They always take you here. But I have mm. to say that unless you read the entire book of Hebrews in and of itself, that makes no sense, really. It, mm. Well, it, it doesn't give the proper understanding. When I just went and read through Hebrews really deeply start to finish, and I came across this, and then what follows next, I went, ah, so that's, that's what uh, it means. Because uh, whenever people hear this and are skeptical, they always assume that, you know, this faith is blind, uh, because, you know, it's evidence of things not seen. 
therefore your you know your beliefs cannot be founded on anything yeah but what the entire book of hebrews is saying is faith is hoping for something in the future that you have not yet seen you believe it is in the future you have faith in it despite the fact that you've never seen it so this is what the sacrifices meant every time the people went and sacrificed the lamb uh, in the old testament they had faith that uh, what they were doing was, uh, you know, was atoning for their sins. Not only that, but they all knew about the Messiah, the promised one to come, who would come uh, and, you know, make the world new and do all these things. So you're saying that um, although the the blood of the Lamb actually doesn't do much, um, they're merely saved through the faith that it did? Exactly. The blood of the Lamb does nothing. It's the action that they do, the action of showing trust and the action of uh, them sacrificing the lamb is just showing that they have faith in the lamb of God to come that hasn't come yet they haven't seen him they don't know about him but God's instructed them to do this and he says do this in faith uh, never having yet seen the lamb of God Jesus Christ who is going through that once and for all for everything so really what we're talking about then is the blood of Jesus the blood of Jesus is the only thing that can create the forgiveness of sins not the blood of lambs or people or whatever it's only jesus yeah and i guess that makes sense too i mean because obviously you know you take some blood and there it is you're not really connecting it with the spiritual world until no. you're having faith in any aspect mm. so faith really is the engine um for um the connection through to god and anything um between the physical and spiritual world yeah exactly the actions testify to their faith and uh, whenever, if you're ever asked, you know, how were people saved in the Old Testament before Jesus ever died on the cross, that's your answer. They put their trust in the cross before they'd even seen it. Through their actions, they showed that they have faith in something not yet seen. And that's why that definition makes more sense when it's in the context of uh, the rest of the book. And then the author gives a list of examples of people who had faith all throughout the Old Testament. Uh, in chapter 11 and if you the very first example he gives is Abel uh, whose story is literally just about sacrificing a lamb before he gets killed by his brother so to me that was really the author you know hitting that home mm. think of Noah and the flood Noah uh, for a hundred years could never see the flood but he built the ark in faith knowing that it was going to come uh, Abraham and Sarah they were told they were going to have children. They couldn't see that happening for a long time, and then they uh, then they had children. But they had faith in that time where they were uncertain. Do you think that if they didn't have faith, they wouldn't have children? Uh, I. That's a really interesting question. I would probably say yes because they they prayed to God for a child. They specifically prayed to God for a child. And in James, ironically, in the book of James, it says. When you pray, don't be like a double-minded man who, uh, you know, who's tossed by the waves. Um, I'm paraphrasing here, it's like the message. But essentially what it's saying is if, if you're having doubts while you're saying it and you don't have faith, then God's not going to uh, respond to your prayer. There's mm -hmm. no point in asking for something like, hey, could you get me this, but I, I know you're not, so don't worry about it. Yeah. Who's going to do that? Like... Even if you did that to people, like, hey, could you grab me a... Could you pass the salt, but not really, because I know you're not, so just... <laughs> you know what, just leave the salt, but I really want it, but just just leave it there. Like, 
How would you interpret that if someone did that to you? Yeah. Uh, like I said, faith is the engine. So yeah. I suppose for the prayer to um, be realized, it would have had to be from a place of faith in the first place. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Awesome. So then uh, we go into Hebrews chapter 12, and we begin in verses 14 through to 17, and we're talk- they talk about the heavenly hope. Abraham talks about Abraham. He never really got to see the promised land that he was given. But um, the author says that he had a hope in the kingdom to come. He had a hope that, you know, when he died and Jesus would come back at the second coming, that he would be brought up to heaven. He had a heavenly hope in a better promised land. And I suppose that's the faith that we can have now. Um, We've never, obviously, have never seen heaven. We, We haven't seen the second coming, yet we know it's in the future. And we have faith in it, despite having never seen it. And I suppose that's almost our equivalent today. And the uh, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, the author describes the Christian life as a race. You can't see the finishing line, but you have faith that the finishing line is there. And not only that, but that there's a reward when you you know finish this marathon, that there's something there. Mm. And so you keep your eyes on Jesus, you have faith in him, and you run towards the finishing line, and that's and then uh, and then uh, in uh, in the following chapter, I can't find the reference for it, so sue me. Uh, but it then talks about Esau in this exact same book, and to me that was just a mind blow because it goes, wow. So that's really what Esau was doing—the exact same thing. His inheritance was in the future, but he didn't have faith. Yeah. Not, not like the people who were sacrificing the lambs, not like Noah or Abraham. They couldn't see it yet. Esau could not see his inheritance yet, and it was in the future, and that's why he was so ready to abandon it. That's why he was so ready to give it away and so dismissive. It meant nothing to him. He didn't care about it, and it seemed too far off in the future for it to be to hold any relevance to him. Do you think faith is is just being able to... Um, you know, to see it or or more um, having the will to pursue it. Because I know that they kind of go hand in hand, but with Esau, it was kind of like he knew it was there. Mm. Um, or this is this is this was my interpretation of the story anyway. He knew it was there, but he didn't um, go for it because he was ignorant. Um, do you think faith had something to do with his ignorance? Um, do you think he very well could have been faithful but just stupid? Um, because he did try and, and get it back afterwards, as you were saying to me before. Yeah, uh, I think, uh, well, I actually, I found the verse I was referring to. We Let's read that, and then maybe we can get a better understanding. Sure. It says in Hebrews 12, and we'll begin in 15, Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many became, become defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. So, so there you go. Perhaps he did have faith, but was just really in the moment and not thinking straight? He, he was really in the moment and not thinking straight. And not only that, he missed his opportunity. By the time it was there, it was done. It says, um, afterwards, he wanted to get it, 
later again, he was rejected. Mm. And even in the main text in 25, it says he despised his birthright. He didn't want it anymore. He just, he hated it. He hated everything about it. And then when he wanted to go get it again, when uh, the, uh, Isaac was given the blessing, he tried to, reject it again. Mm. Um, it's so, so important to um, getting your timing right, um, because you never know when your time is up, really. Um, and it's it's really important to make that good trade, perhaps, um, you know, sacrifice, uh, going to work on Saturday, or making some money, or, or Sunday, or, or whatever day you go yeah. to church. Um, you know, on, on your Sabbath day, uh, maybe um, you could have gone to a party or something, um, but you choose to to keep it holy and, and um, rest and pray and um, go to church. And it's those sacrifices, those trades that we have to make, mm. and you know, that, that are all to do with with the timing of it. See, Esau, yeah. he made a very poorly timed trade, um, you know, and, and a very bad one at that. Um, you know, and by the time he wanted it back, it was too late. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's important to make the good trade while you still while you still can. Yeah, that's the thing. Um, the the Bible always talks about the fact that you know there's a time when uh, that choice is no longer going to be available. It's going to be a time when it is too late, and you don't want to be on that you know on that boat when it sails. Yeah, absolutely. Like imagine you had. $10,000 and you like you had to buy a car and every day you lost $100 oh. and then um, eventually like your, your, your car the quality of your car is getting worse and worse right? Mm. Um, and eventually you're just not going to have enough money to buy a car and and then you die let's say a car keeps you alive or something it's the same thing with, with Christianity and with Christ you have depleting amount of time and time is really that really valuable resource it's ever depleting you can't get it back you can't trade for it, and it's 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 going away while as we speak, and and soon enough, you're not going to have enough time to to make that trade. And I, I think you just made me really depressed. <laughs> <laughs> you, I can never trade it; it's depleting, and it's well, going to be it. one day gone. You have to use a wise. Ah, oh, that and, was a slap of reality. And also, um, on top of that. You never know when your time's going to be up. Yeah. I mean, as far as you know, you can have $200 or $1 million. Either way, you, like, you could die tomorrow, you could die in, in 80 years' time. You have no idea. Mm. And so, why risk it, you know? Yeah, definitely. Awesome. And just to finish off our little Hebrews bonus round, uh, hot seat time again. Maybe <laughs> the amount of times to put you in hot seat, it should be its own segment for this one. Yeah, for, <laughs> for an uneducated Bible guy. <laughs> oh, well, it... it um, trials bring forth perseverance <laughs> and good character. So, uh, Hebrews twelve fourteen. I'll read it out for you, and then I have a question. This is just a bonus thing I found interesting. I might even be wrong on this. This is just what I thought. But it says, Pursue peace with all people and holy, holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. And you know what? Uh, it's the incorrect reference. That's not the verse I was after. <laughs> so you passed the hot seat anyways. Oh, no, the, the verse I'm looking for, and someone can fill me in, um, but it talks about being perfected and sanctified by Jesus. Now, sanctification is the process of getting closer to perfection. It's becoming holy. Mm. Why is it then that the author says you are perfected and then sanctified. Wouldn't shouldn't perfected be after sanctified? Ooh. 
Mm, it's, yeah, it, it's one of those things that kind of seems illogical, but it really brings it out an underlying message. Um, perhaps sanctified um, means holy and pure and without sin. Um, and while you are perfect, while you are made in the image of God, I could be very wrong. I'll give you what I think yeah, afterwards, but yeah, keep going. Yeah, um, <clears throat> while we are made perfect, while we are made in the image of God, while we are extremely loved by by our Father, um, we're at the same time broken. Mm. We're kind of like a really shiny vase and that was smashed through sin, and one day it will be restored. We can try and put the pieces back together, but we can't really be truly sanctified um, until, you know, we get that get rid second of the coming. Nature, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to build up on what you said and use that same analogy. We've been smashed. Uh, we're still smashed. Pardon me. We've been smashed and we're still smashed now. But here's the thing. I think because it's talking about Christ and everything he does, if we accept the sacrifice of Christ, it says he'll give you a robe of righteousness. Uh, whoever whoever ah, has yes. been baptized with Christ has died with Christ and now... God no longer looks at someone as though they're sinful. Mm. They're looked upon as perfect. So here and now, God will look upon me as perfect because uh, I've accepted Jesus, and he doesn't see me anymore. He sees Jesus standing in front of me as my mediator. But that doesn't mean <laughs> that I am perfect yet. So in God's eyes, he sees Jesus and he sees perfection, but I'm still being sanctified uh, here on earth. So I think... That's that's the only thought I had, and yeah, it builds upon what you were saying. So yeah, so essentially, um, like once once you become Christian, you you, you could become saved, mm. and um, and then after that, um, you're basically okay, um, and then there's another level of okay, which is when you actually are saved. Yes. Later on. So really, the process of sanctification is trying to get you to bear more the image of Christ. So. Christ is already your mediator, and God sees Christ. But sanctification, while that's happening, God is slowly trying to make you more perfect and act more like Christ, to to act like him, to have desires like him. And then, yeah, only at the second coming, when that sinful nature is gotten rid of, will that process be complete. Hmm. Well, okay. we're going to go into another bonus round. This is called The History of of Edom. Uh, as I said, I did a lot of research on uh, Edom, uh, none of which is really relevant to <laughs> the uh, sermon, apart from the actions have consequences. But there are a few things that we didn't get to talk about in depth. So, let's explore a little bit about Edom. The ancient capital city of Edom was Bozra, and the later capital was Sela, meaning rock, or the Latin name that we may be familiar with is Petra. Ever heard of Petra? Yes. It's a big fortress. Now, it's a common misconception that the Edomites built the fortress of Petra. What actually happened was, uh, they lived in that area, but the Nabataean Arabs, when they were invaded later on in their history, it was the Arabs who built the big fortress, not the Edomites. Yeah, right. Um, and according to Genesis, Esau's descendants, they settled in a land and actually displaced another nation uh, called the Horites. And they lived in the land of Seir. If you want to learn more about that, you can go to Genesis chapter 36 for a detailed chronology of the kings of Edom. Uh, now, the king, king Saul and King David, as we mentioned in the sermon, they fought with the Edomites. And King David uh, actually got to the point where Edom became the vassal of Israel. They were like a 
they 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 pretty much conquered the uh, city of Edom, and uh, the Bible doesn't say this, but tradition says that King David placed governors or prefix over the Edomites, uh, which is an interesting thing. Hmm. Now uh, there are a lot of other places, uh, not again not in the Bible, but in traditional history, which is why I didn't put them in the sermon uh, necessarily. A lot of this comes from Jewish sources like the Tanakh and stuff like that. Uh, which at times can be pretty faulty, I suppose, not very <laughs> accurate. So how about we yeah, just put a disclaimer, for the rest of what we're going to say, this is just interesting stuff I found. doesn't mean it's necessarily true. So <laughs> that's the caveat there. Um, and then pretty much the only other thing uh, was that King Amaziah, he attacked the Edomites and he took the... Uh, the that, he took the area of Selah, but he was unable to subdue Edom in the same way that uh, King Saul and David was, to essentially conquer them. So that's some Edom stuff, but I want to know a little bit about Esau. What's this Esau guy all about? Uh, a lot of the... No, not a lot of. All of the stuff we're going to look at here about Esau comes from Jewish tradition, mostly in the Talmud. I thought this was just interesting... Uh, not necessarily because it's true. I don't think uh, these stories are true, and we'll get to the reason why later. But it was just interesting hearing... Um, it's almost kind of like fan fiction hmm. of what they thought, uh, a little bit more extra information about Esau. Who knows? Maybe it is historically accurate, maybe it's not. It's a Talmud. I don't know. <laughs> so, uh, Jewish tradition tells that Esau traded his inheritance the same day that his grandfather, Abraham, died. Oh, what a coincidence. What a coinkydink. Uh, they believe that on that same day, he committed five sins, and it's going to get ugly. Apparently, they say he raped a betrothed young woman, he committed murder... Wait, who's this? This is Esau. <laughs> on the same day? On the same day. He denied God, he denied the resurrection... This and, guy went insane. Yep, and then he comes home... And that's when he asks for the stew, they say. And that's when he committed the fifth sin, he gave away his birthright. Okay, so why? Why, why? am I insane on, on the day, on, on just that specific day? Was that perhaps after he found out his father died? You know, or... I think I think what they, the story they're trying to portray is that, yeah, when his grandfather Abraham died, grandfather. he went a bit nutters. But look mm. at all the stuff he does in one day. <laughs> he <laughs> rapes someone and then goes, well, what, what else, what other deadly sin haven't I done yet? Oh, murder. <laughs> and then, yeah, he denies the resurrection of the dead um, and gives away his birthright on top of all that. Totally goes off his rocker. He goes off his rocker. So, want to hear about the murder story? I couldn't find too much info on uh, the woman that he bumps into, but there's a detailed story about who he murders. Apparently, so, Abraham's just died, he's just finished doing his stuff with a woman, he's just walking around in the fields now, he's lost his way, and then he sees King Nimrod with two servants. Now, here's where they lose me, and I think uh, this starts getting fishy and whack. Mm. Esau knew that Nimrod, he wore the very clothes of Adam himself. Oh, yes, yes. Which later became the property of... Noah. Now, <laughs> Noah's son Ham, who was Nimrod's grandfather, finally gave them to his descendant Nimrod. 
Now, these divine clothes of Adam's, they made Nimrod a powerful and skilled hunter and a mighty ruler over all the other kings. Radio, Ma- magic, make yourself awesome at hunting clothes, and yeah, achieve instant um, <laughs> social ranks. Yeah, pretty much. Like, well, it didn't help him, did it? Yeah. Okay, he gets. So what he does is he really wants the clothes. He wants to be a good hunter and all this. So while the servants go off and do their thing, he kills Nimrod, and then he kills the two servants, and he takes Nimrod's clothes with him. Um. Yeah, and who knows? Maybe that's why Esau gave up his birthright so easily. I mean, he had a magic cloak now that was supposed mm-hmm. to give him social status and <laughs> to be a king. Maybe he didn't need his birthright. Um, once again, the the story sounds fishy. It's a Jewish traditional tale, but it's an interesting tale. It's cool to see, you know, what they think, even though it's not necessarily biblical. Yeah, definitely interesting. Uh, a little bit of extra info in the Book of Jubilees... Uh, Esau's father Isaac, he compels Esau to swear not to attack or to kill Jacob after uh, he dies. Because he knows, he knows uh, that Esau hates Jacob and he wants to kill him. So Esau, um, he he agrees to it, but his sons uh, don't feel the same way. And they actually like start nudging their dad and going, hey, let's get some mercenaries. Let's hire some mercenaries and kill your brother, People our uncle. People were really savage back then. They're real savage. Want to sort out a problem? Hire some mercenaries. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, have we really become less savage? They're just on the dark web now. That's yeah. about it. <laughs> just on the dark web. No, it's just there's a justice system now. I suppose you know there's laws. And it's true. I mean, their justice. It would have been a lot harder to get justice, and yeah. even justice was a lot more savage back then. Mm. You find that I was talking about this with a friend in Leviticus. A lot of the time, there's capital punishment given to uh, a crime, and a lot of people kind of reactionary thing like. Oh, what? Why would you know capital punishment? Whether you whether you think capital punishment is relevant for today or not, that's a different discussion. But they were living in tents, yeah. and they were they were nomadic. They were traveling around. It's not like they can build a prison. Like they literally cannot build a prison in one spot. Uh, so I suppose that was one solution to getting rid of. You got a murderer. You got yeah. a murderer. Uh, what are you going to do with him? Yeah. Put him over in Jehokabil's tent. That'll keep him out of everyone. <laughs> it's one Sneaks thing. out of the tent. <laughs> yeah. well, that's it. It's, it's actually one thing that I actually quite like about society is, uh, as, as much as I hate judgmental people, mm. it's kind of the judgmental people who uh, uh, kind of form these expectations and almost make society a better place. Mm. For example, um, if if someone stole something from someone... Most people would look at that and say, hey, that's bad. And worse than the, the prosecution of justice, they'd get a lot of social justice. Yeah. And that's definitely something that's evolved a lot in, in the modern era. And I believe that's basically what, you know, what, why we're that savage now. People, like, you've got the leftists. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think um, one of the good things about the Bible is, unlike other uh, texts like the Quran or the Bhagavad Gita, other holy texts... It allows for the people to adapt and to evolve. God has an ideal moral standard, but the thing is he also doesn't impress it on people immediately straight away. For example, if the Australian government tomorrow was to say, we're hereby banning all alcohol and all cigarettes, 
um, yeah, we got a problem. Yeah. The the population, maybe not smoking so much, uh, but alcohol is such like it's a part of Australian culture. Yeah. Really, it's ingrained. You know, have a beer and the barbie. There's nothing more powerful than culture and society. There's nothing more culture and society, and the only people who can really change culture are the people in it. Government yeah. can't legislate it, and so the good thing about what God does is He meets people where they're at and says, "I'm going to give you some guidelines as what to do. I'll give you a few improvements, but I'm also not going to turn society upside down and also, you know, collapse an economy and an entire culture that binds people together in one straight in you know one day overnight. Change can't happen overnight, and God realizes that. So mm. I suppose that's also why we've become less savage and you know, um, as people develop and we grow better ideas and we go, huh, hmm, you know what? That's probably not a good idea. Let's not do it anymore. Yeah. Let's not hire mercenaries anymore. <laughs> mm. So, yeah, it's cool how um, God allows for that. Yeah, definitely. Well, that was a tangent, but... Um. Oh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, the last thing we're going to look at is the death of Esau, which is another Jewish tradition... It tells that when uh, Jacob, his brother, was brought, brought to be buried in the cave, Esau, uh, he came in and he stopped the burial from happening. He claimed that he had the right to be buried in the cave, complaining about the birthright once again. Mm. So after some negotiation with Naphtali, who was a, um, must have been a relative of theirs, Naphtali was sent to Egypt to get essentially like a document or a will stating that Esau gave that over to Jacob in the past. As this was going on, another uh, relative of theirs, Husham, uh, who was hard of hearing, he didn't know what was going on. And he didn't know why, you know, his grandfather Jacob wasn't being buried. So he asked for an explanation. And then when he was told that uh, they'd sent someone to go all the way to Egypt to get this document, he had a rage quit and he killed Esau. Wow. And apparently he knocked his head off or something like that, because apparently Esau's head rolled into the cave, and supposedly Esau's head is still in that cave to this very day. Mm, fascinating stuff. Fascinating stuff. Uh, take that with a grain of salt. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I would base uh, any biblical stuff on that or anything. But again, interesting extra information about what the Jews think uh, Esau was like. So that about wraps up the cutting room floor for today. So Christopher, do you have any recommended readings? Yep. Today I'm going to recommend Ellen White's Patriarchs and Prophets. Specifically, uh, you can just read the chapter Jacob and Esau, as well as the Book of Life, Volume 2, A Chosen People. I don't have an author for that. I'm really sorry. Uh, I looked everywhere. I probably should have gotten a publisher now that I think of it, but... <laughs> Yeah. Oh, oh well, if you look it up, I'm sure you'll find it. It's a good book, and it talks a lot about the culture and stuff of Edom as well. So, Christopher, where can these people find you? Well, you can find me here at the After 7 Podcasts uh, YouTube channel, as you think. And you can also find me at uh, my other YouTube channel, Christopher Peterson. That's where all my sermons are. Click on the link below uh, to the sermon, Bye Bye So Low, talk about this podcast. That's where you can take you straight to my channel. Awesome. Well, that concludes today's podcast. Uh, thank you for joining us and hearing a little bit about some Jewish tradition, a little bit about Esau and some magic clothes. <laughs> um, <laughs> we didn't get to talk uh, 
whole lot. We didn't read a whole lot from the Bible, but I think we had a really interesting discussion and um, talk a little bit about business. Yeah. Um, thanks, James, for having us. Uh, thank you for being with us, James, I should say. Uh, yeah, no worries. <laughs> thanks for being with us, business proficionado. And uh, we'll see you next week on the After Sermon Podcast. And with that said, have a good one and good, good night. night.